today. Let's open up to 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel 12. As we work our way through the Old Testament, we come now to this time of transition. It's a transition in the history of Israel. It goes from judges to kings, from Samuel to Saul, from a divine monarchy, also known as a theocracy, to a human monarchy. Which, when you think about it, you guys, a, a divine monarchy to a human monarchy, wouldn't you say that's a pretty big step down? <laughs> it really is, huh? And when we come to 1 Samuel chapter 12, we uh, find that a lot of people have called this Samuel's farewell speech. But we're going to see that he's still going to be very involved in the affairs of Israel. And I would say that this chapter right here is more of a necessary warning regarding the governmental transition that's about to take place. We're going to see in verses 1 through 5, it's Samuel's past integrity. Integrity. There's an integrity crisis today. But we're going to see Samuel's a good example for us. In verses 6 through 11, we're going to see Israel's past history. And it's kind of cool. We'll see Israel, but we'll also see the God of Israel. And it's important for us to be men and women of integrity. It's also important for us to be men and women of history. You've got to really be in tune with what God has done for you, what God's doing. Don't be forgetters because that will really hurt you in your walk. And then we're going to see in verses 12 through 13 the current perversity, how they were taking God out and putting a human king in and how we need to be careful of that, how so many times we as a church, even Christians, look to man and not God. And that's a perversity in the church today. It's idolatry. And then we're going to see today as we close in verses 14 through 25 just the simplicity, you guys. The simplicity of what it is to be a child of God. Let me just say this, you know, I've been a Christian now for you know, over 20 years. And I've got to be honest with you, you know, sometimes I think we make things a, a, a really complicated. You know, we try to figure it out. And, you know, I try and try and try. And, and God just, you know, he always, always reminds me, man, you cannot do that. My ways are higher than your ways. My word is so deep, theologians will never touch the bottom. Christianity is not sophisticated. It's not complicated. It's simple. It's really simple. You know, and one of the things that we see in our life is that God has called you to die to yourself. God says, my word's the authority. I'm the authority. Get in line. Start obeying me the way that you should. Live a life of obedience to God. Find out what he wants you to do and do it. It's real simple, but we like to complicate it. We don't want to find out what he wants us to do, and then we make excuses when we do find out. But we're going to see today that it's a real simple life for us. And I think that when we come back to that heart of, Lord, I just want to obey you because you're worthy, then life will really come together. Look what you read here, first of all, in verse 1. It says, Now Samuel said to all Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice and all that you said to me and have made a king over you. And now here is the king walking before you. And I am old and gray-headed. And look, my sons are with you. I'll stop there for a second. We see Samuel here speaks to all Israel. 
And basically what he says to them is, I've given you what you've asked for. You know, in, in light of the fact that I'm, I'm old and I'm, and I'm gray-haired. Now, not all gray-haired people are old, but, you know, in this case, he was old, right? And, and gray-headed or whatever. He's about to die. His sons are not serving the Lord. In light of these factors, he says, I'm going to give you what you want. Here you are. You're asking for a king, right? But before we make this transition, let's make sure we get something squared away. Notice he says there again in verse 2, I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. You guys have seen me from day one. Here I am. Witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. And they said, you have not cheated us or oppressed us. Nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. Then he said to them, the Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, he is witness. Here we see Samuel's past integrity. Something you don't see a lot nowadays. There were no mars, there were no scars, there were no scandals, there was no drama. There was no nightmare. There was no skeletons in the closet. Samuel had walked in his integrity all his life. When you look at this right here, the focus seems to be on the financial element of it. Matters of money, matters of possessions. Had he ever cheated anyone or oppressed anyone? Had he ever received bribes to blind his eyes? I mean, he was there in a public forum, and they all said, no, you haven't cheated, you haven't oppressed, you have never taken anything from anyone's hand. And so the Lord, the King, and all the people were witnesses. You know, and and man, how many guys, you know, how many people can really say that? You know, to stand up in a public forum and say, if there is anyone here that I have cheated, that I have done wrong, you know, that I have violated. You know, speak now. And, and no one could say anything. You know, I think especially today of our political leaders. It's too bad our modern-day politicians weren't required to ask such public questions in public forums in times of transition. Wouldn't that be crazy? Imagine that. You know, when you go from one politician to another, he has to stand before everybody <laughs> and give an account. I mean, it's actually just a tragedy today when you consider not only the financial conduct, but also the sexual conduct of our leaders and the overall moral conduct of our politicians. I mean, even our, the mayor of Los Angeles, you know, he goes, he has an affair, he gets a divorce, and no one even blinks an eye. That's the world that we live in, huh? You know, you guys, we need to know, and I pray we would know more than ever, the importance of integrity in every heart, every man, but especially those who are called to lead. You know, tragically, the world that we live in today, they don't care about morals. They couldn't care less about integrity. 
especially in those who are leading us politically. They just want a man, or it doesn't even matter, maybe even a woman who can prosper them financially because we've drifted so far from the Lord, right? And, of course, this is applicable not just to politicians, but it's very relevant to pastors, right, to spiritual leaders, right, who oftentimes fail in this area, especially in the area of finances. Many pastors are fleecing the flock. Some of these guys are making a lot of money. They're living high on the hog because they have a big church. They think that makes an excuse. Or sometimes they're suffocating some of the smaller congregations. They're just making too much money, and one day they will give an account to God. And right here we see Samuel. He's just such a a good leader. You know, I haven't taken anything from anyone. I haven't gone beyond what God's called me to live on. You know, as a pastor, as a leader, we need to be very careful not to be paid too much because one day we're going to give an account. Of course, we can't steal, oppress, or accept bribes in any way. See, some of these guys wearing $3,000 suits, you know, driving a $100,000 car. Why? Because your church is big. Who cares? You don't need that. But that's the world we live in, right? Here we see Samuel is a good example for us. And he kind of gets himself out of the picture. And then what he does is he points the people to the Lord. We see, first of all, his past integrity. I pray that we would be motivated by that. Man, you got to watch every single day of your life. Every day, every conversation, because you never know, man. That might be the day you go up on the roof and you check out, oh, there's Bathsheba. You call her in and you fall and you ruin your life. Samuel's integrity, and then we see Israel's history. Because look what it says there in verse 6. It says, and then Samuel said to the people, it is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and your fathers. Now, what we find is something that I think we see a lot in life. We can have a Christianity. We can have a congregation. We can have a people of God who disconnect themselves with God. They disconnect themselves from God. Somehow the people of Israel had done that. They had disconnected their lives and their lands. They had disconnected their very nation from the very one who had set them free. And that can happen. It's so easy when you know the routine and you know religion, you know what to say, and you know how to read your Bible for a half an hour and kind of go through maybe a few prayers for 15 minutes. And you go and you wear the T-shirt and the bumper sticker and you listen to the studies, but you don't live the deeper life. And you disconnect yourselves from God. And that's what they had done. You know, they had unfortunately, tragically, and typically become a man-centered people. Man-centered. And the Lord says in verse 6, it is the Lord. Samuel says, it's the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron. 
I mean, whatever you do, don't exalt Moses and Aaron. Don't look to them. It's the Lord. Samuel says it wasn't Moses or Aaron. Please don't give them any credit or any glory. No, it was the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron, who then brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. You know, he's basically going to tell them that whether it's a deliverer, a prophet, a priest, a judge, or even king that God uses as an instrument in your life, just basically whatever you do, you guys, don't look to men. Look to God. Now, we honor them, and we try to keep a spiritual structure in the church that we have, but we never elevate man. The best of men are men at best. And if we put men between us and God, we will ruin the relationship that we have with him and we'll be doing the same thing that Israel is doing here. And that's what he's trying to say. Now Samuel, in this section right here, he even gets legal. He gets formal. There in verse 7 where he tells them to stand still. Stand still. Teacher Jesse, he's the guy that oversees the children's ministry. He'll always say, freeze. You know, and everybody's got to like freeze in whatever position they're in, you know. And um, I don't know, I was thinking about that, you know, how there's this kind of like this attentiveness. In one sense, he's saying, you know, stand up in court and listen to what I'm going to say. Wordsby said it this way. He said, this is more than a lecture on history. It was also a court trial. Samuel's words in verse 7 have a judicial flavor. Stand still carries the idea of stand up. Court is in session. And the word reason, it means to decide a case of litigation. You see, Samuel is going to prove to the people that the Lord had been righteous and faithful in all his dealings with Israel, but that the Jews had been faithless and disobedient. And so maybe you're here today. How many of you here today, you try to get out of jury duty? You guys do everything you can to get out of jury duty. And I thought you were good American citizens, man. Christians should be, right? I know sometimes you know you can't because you got things going on. But a lot of times you just don't want to make the sacrifice. We try to get out of it. You hate jury duty. You do all that you can, right? But in this case right here, i got to tell you that you cannot get out of it. We can't. We must look at the evidence and make a decision and then live accordingly. Samuel wants Israel to listen to the testimony, and he wants them to listen to the history. And it's just a a few verses right here. In verse 11, he says this, Man, when Jacob had gone into Egypt, and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt, and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God, He sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, but now deliver us from the hand of our enemies and we will serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbaal, Bedan, Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you dwelt in safety. I know there's not a lot here, but there's enough, I think, for us to understand the pattern. A pattern that we see in Israel, and a pattern that we often see in our own lives. 
You know, how we long to be consistent. How we desire to be overcomers, at least we should. I've told you guys before, you know, that we as Christians, we're not going to be perfect on this side of time, but we should be proper. But a lot of times we're just not. We vacillate in our commitment to God. We're inconsistent in our quiet time with the Lord. You know, our kids never know what parent's going to show up or, you know, what or, you know, bosses doesn't know which worker's going to show up. Is it going to be the good guy or the bad guy today? You know, and we go up and down and we're all around and God is just saying, you know, that's like the nation of Israel. That's how they were. And if I could just say this to you, because maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, that's just the way it is. Not for everybody. Not for Job, not for Daniel, not for Joseph, not for men and women who really love God. There's a consistency in their walk. And it's a humility. It's not that they're they're prideful. And that's got to be our goal, you guys. We don't want to be like the children of Israel. You know, after all that God had done for them, and after all that God has done for us, why would we not be consistent in our walk with the Lord? You know? I mean, here they are. God brings them out of Egypt with an outstretched arm. Ten plagues. plagues. He defeats the mightiest nation in the world, you know? And he brings them through the wilderness, sustains them for 40 years. Their sandals never got old, you know? They went in, they got the promised land, God gave them the victory. It's an amazing thing, but it didn't take long for them to do what? There in verse 9, they forgot the Lord, their God. They forgot. Believe it or not, for some Christians, it's as simple as just having a bad memory. That's why we need those constant reminders. That's why communion is so important, you guys. And I, I really encourage you to have communion at your house, not just here once a month or twice a month, but get together with your friends and your family, you know, you as a, as a dad, as a leader in the home maybe, you know, and you break out the communion because there you remember Jesus. There you remember the great cross of Calvary. And we need that constantly that reminder of who God is and what he's done for us. Because if not, what ended up happening was they forgot the Lord. And so what ended up happening, God disciplined them because they disobeyed and God would discipline them. And then God would rescue them or deliver them, right? But then they would disobey again. And then what would God do? Discipline them because they were then defeated. I mean, it's just, it was a cycle we saw in the book of Judges. It was a, It's a cycle that we see in Israel, and, you know, I pray that we would really kind of like open up our eyes and see that it's a cycle that we often see in our own lives, and that, and that I pray we would never, never surrender to that cycle, that we would always say, Lord, I know you're real. I know your word is true, and I know your Holy Spirit can teach me your word. I know, Lord, I may not be that smart, but I have the Spirit of God living inside of me, and I know that you can give me the wisdom to discern between good and evil. And you can give me the power to obey when I rely on you and we begin to live a life. The promised land is a, is a representation of what? Victorious Christian living. You see? 
But what we see Israel, their past history was a history of what? Unfaithfulness. And then at the same time, what do we see what the Lord did? What was his history? Faithfulness. Faithfulness, huh? You know, there they were. They got peeled to the ground. If it was me, and you know what? You kept doing that to me. I'd say, you know what? Forget you. You know, find somebody else. But God's not like that, right? And God would just continue to deliver them when they cried out, when they really repented of their sins. And what we find, you guys, is there's this lesson. And, you know, in First Timothy, it says that, you know, when we're faithless, he remains faithful, right? He cannot deny himself. And that carries a couple of meanings. A lot of people say, well, that means that God is just so gracious to overlook our sin. No, he's faithful to spank you. He's faithful to discipline you. He says, I'm going to spank you if you disobey. And he's not like us who just threaten, right? He follows through with his threats. Maybe some of you here today, if you opened up your eyes a little wider, what you would find is you are living right in the middle of God's discipline and you don't even know it. You're being spanked right now. You're being disciplined right now because God loves you. But that was the cycle of Israel. They would do good. Then they would forget the Lord. Then they would do bad. Then they would find themselves defeated. Then they would finally cry out after they hit their head against the wall 367 times, God, I really mean it now. I'm really going to surrender my life now. I'm really going to be broken of this pride that I have. Lord, I I surrender. I'm tired of this world. I'm sick and tired of being tired. And God says, okay, that's the tone of voice that I want. And then he delivers you. But see, we've got to stay there. We need to learn from their history. We need to be people of history. I mean, how many times has God forgiven you? How many times has God delivered you? How many things has God done? I mean, if it was just the cross, that would be enough. But he has done infinitely more than the cross, hasn't he? You know, it was the Lord who set them free from Egypt. It was the Lord that brought them into the promised land. It was the Lord who disciplined them for their own good. It was the Lord who heard their cries. It was the Lord who gave them military victories. It was the Lord who delivered them. It says right there, out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you dwelt in safety. You know, and that's where we left it off in chapter 7. It was a great military victory through Samuel. It was great. But what happened? Well, eventually they came to that place that they didn't simply trust the Lord anymore. I know for one, they had a short memory. We saw that in verse 9. They forgot the Lord their God. We're going to see later that they forgot the things that God had done for them, which just as a quick side note, I would encourage you to build altars. You guys know what that is? You're thinking, oh, no, he's getting Catholic on me. No, no. An altar is just a way of reminding us, man, I mean, the other day I was in my, uh, in my office and, and a, someone, a, a name came into my mind just out of the blue. I, I probably only called this one individual in the last two years, maybe once. But I said, you know what, I'm going to give him a call. I called and I found out that this guy was in the process of running away from home. You know, and just a little thing like that, the Lord just kind of shows little words of wisdom, little words of discernment, just little miracles here and there. But we forget. Next thing you know, we think, no, God can't speak to me. Yes, he can. God can speak to you. 
We have to build little altars, though. I have journals. Guys can do that. It's not a diary, okay? <laughs> it's a journal. And what I do in my journal is I write those things down, and I print it out every month. I print it out, and I read it, and I reread it, and I remind myself of all these amazing things that God does. But we need to be proactive. We need to build altars, so to speak. Otherwise, we're going to forget who God is and what God has done for us. You know, a lot of people are being disobedient. And they, you know, are there and they wonder, you know, well, why am I being disciplined? You know, and they make excuses. Ah, you should have seen what that guy did to me and my family. A lot of people will tell me things like, you know what, my life's not that good. And they're complaining about the things they're going through or what's happening to them physically. You know, and, you know, some will say, well, you know what, Manny, I'm just not feeling it anymore. Look what they've done to me. Well, first of all, why would you even have that type of eye upon that guy and not God? Why? And, yeah, maybe this has happened to you, and I guess I can see what the guy did to you, but I also see what God has done for you. I see that more. You know, pretty big things that God has done for us, like life and love, fellowship, freedom, forgiveness from our sins. If you think about it, God's given you heaven and not hell. And sure, maybe there are some of you here today who don't feel. You don't feel, but it's still real what God has done for us. I don't need to feel it. We don't. As a matter of fact, I think it's better sometimes when you don't. When you just walk by faith and not by sight. I know what God's done for me. He made me. I was telling Henry today, you know, I've been walking with the Lord since 1989, and I have never doubted my salvation. You know, I know there are some people who doubt their salvation for various reasons, but I can never doubt my salvation because I'm constantly reminding myself of that day that I got saved, that day that God delivered me. And so many things along the way. You know, Israel forgot the Lord. They forgot his righteous acts. And therefore, what ended up happening is they had become an unreasonable people. They refused to look up and enter into a personal relationship with God. And if you don't look up, then you won't grow up. And then you're going to be set up by the enemy. Because look what happens next. We see, first of all, Samuel's integrity. We see Israel's history, and then we see their modern-day perversity. In verse 12, it says, And when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No. That already doesn't sound good right there, man. No. But a king shall reign over us. When the Lord was your king, Now, therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired. And take note, the Lord has set a king over you. It's kind of interesting. Josephus talks about Nahash. So do the the scrolls. What are those scrolls called? Dead Sea Scrolls. It talks about Nahash. This guy was obviously, you know, doing a real big military conquest in those days. We spoke last week how this man was pretty bad, Nahash. That's not, not incidental. His name means serpent, serpent, snake. He's a picture of the devil. 
and how he will do anything in his life to defeat you, to take you out of God's perfect will for your life, and how basically he likes to establish different authorities, any other authority but God. You see, and that's what he's trying to do. You know what? You don't need the Lord to reign over you, to to reign over you. You know, you can be like a king like the other nations. You know, you don't really need the word of God as the final authority in your life. You can get a lot of good information from some other very good resources. Guys that are really smart, they have PhDs. And he'll just do whatever he can to establish any other authority over you. It might even be another person. Yeah, but he's a godly guy. He's a godly gal. Yeah, and you jump when they say jump. But you don't jump when God says jump. Who's your authority? You see, the devil would love to ruin the authority. You see, they weren't looking up, they weren't growing up, and therefore they were going to get beat up by the enemy. They weren't spiritually ready for Nahash. They didn't have their armor on. And so at this juncture in their history, you know, they demand for God to be taken off the throne so they can be like all other nations and have a human king. And you think about that for a second. God was their king, but now there's this mutiny. Now there's this tragedy. Take him off. And let's put the guy who's head and shoulders above everyone else, this guy named Saul. And Samuel here, he makes it clear. The Lord has set a king over you. It's not me. It really is the Lord. He set a king over you. He's given you what you want. And if I could just say this, you guys, God is sovereign, but God will give you what you want sometimes. When? When he spanks you. We already talked a little bit about that. When he disciplines you. Some people, they push, they push, they push. And they shove, they shove, they shove. And they just run, they run, they run through all the warnings that God says, no, you don't need that. No, don't do that. He's not good for you. She's not good for you. That's not good for you. And you plow through all those things. And what ends up happening, you get what you want. But in the process, you lose so much of what God wanted. And that's why it's important to make sure you have that proper authority. Remember I gave you guys that scripture, Psalm 106, verse 15, that he gave them the request, but he sent leanness to their soul. How we need to be so careful, you guys. And, you know, in looking at this right here, and it's so cool just to see the the God that we have. Um, Let me ask you a question. Was it over for Israel? No, it's not over, huh? It's not over. We know how gracious God is, and we know these are his people, and his name is at stake. It's not over. But if I could just say this, it will never be the same. It won't. You know, and God is gracious to forgive us of our sins. You know, praise God for that. You know, and I'm not trying to, you know, heap burdens of condemnation upon you. 
You know, our job as a leadership, our job as a teacher is just to give you God's word. But you got to know that because there are some people out there with the mantra that say God is gracious. God is forgiveness. You know, don't worry about it. You know, just move on. Ain't no thing but a chicken wing. But, you know, what we find is that, you know what? The book of Galatians chapter 6 says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And so next time you're ready to go into sin with eyes wide open, you better look up. You better fall on your knees and you better realize, yeah, yeah, you know, it's not over for Israel. Yeah, you know, it's not over for Israel, but it will never be the same. You know, and I try to tell guys that, you know, and, you know, they fall in, you know, they're married and then they fall and they have an affair. You know, and then they go through their life, and, and next thing you know, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, things are right now. You know what? It's never the same. You know, God will give us a second chance, but this is what ends up happening. And in all reality, I know this sounds pretty weird. You guys might even stone me after this, okay? But I'm going to run. As soon as I'm done, I'm going to run over there. <laughs> but in a sense, I want you to take this home. I want you to take it to the Lord, okay? God's got a plan A for your life. And then in one sense, if you kick and you kick and you kick against the goats, then it's almost like you slip into a plan B. It's still good. It's still, you know, God's plan Z is better than Satan's plan A, right? We know that. But when I read my Bible, that's what I find. Now, in the big picture, in the big picture, God will still be glorified. And God will still have his will. But in your life, it will never be the same. You know, when David fell with Bathsheba, you know, here we see this guy who had just a beautiful heart and to whom much is given, much more is required. He had intimate, sweet fellowship with God. He knew better than most men, but he went into it and he fell into sexual sin. You know, and some might say, well, God forgave him. God still calls him a man after my own heart in Acts chapter 13. But when you read the story, the Lord says this, I would have done so much more. That's David. And that's what happens. Here we see the Lord, you know, he's so cool. He'll meet us there. Okay, so there's nothing we can do about our past. No one here. Nothing we can do about our past. But here we are at this intersection of time, right here, right now. And there is everything that we can do about our future. If today we would just take God's word and surrender. And that's kind of what happens now. Samuel says, okay, you guys have already done what you've done. You've got a king. God's going to set a king over you. You know, he took himself off the throne and he gave you a human king. And he's still going to work with you. But here we need to enter into the covenant once again. And so what he says right here. Notice again in verse 14. Here it is. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. You know, and here we see kind of like basically the summary of the covenant that God was now 
reestablishing with Israel from this point forward. And if I could just say this to you, I also say it to me. You know, Angel was asking earlier, did anybody have a bad day? I had a bad day, a little bit of a bad day here and there, right? So I'm saying it not just to you, I'm also saying it to me. Here we are, God is reestablishing and clarifying the covenant with us. Real simple. If you obey him, it's kind of interesting when you read this. If you obey him, then you'll follow him. That's real interesting. Look again, it says that. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. You're like, hey, wait a minute. I didn't know it worked that way. I thought we'd just obey. I mean, I thought we'd just follow. And the Lord says, well, well that's, that's how you follow. Fear the Lord. Serve him. Obey him. And you follow him. And when you follow him, guess what ends up happening? He leads you to where you're supposed to be. See? But if you don't, he says right there, if you don't obey the voice of the Lord, rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. And you're like, wait a minute. The Bible says if God is for us, who can be against us? The Bible says that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. That's Old Testament theology. No, it's New Testament theology. When God's hand is against you, what does that mean? He's going to give you a trancaso, right? He's going to discipline you because he loves you. And that's the covenant that we have with the Lord now. You know, it's pretty simple. If you fear the Lord, serve the Lord, obey the Lord, don't rebel against the Lord, then you're going to be led by the Lord to the destiny, the destination for them as a nation. But if you don't, if instead you choose not to listen and obey, if you become dull of hearing and hard of hearting, heartening, your heart starts hardening, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and not for you. You know, when you read the book of Acts, I love how it says the hand of the Lord was upon them. Do you guys remember that? Is not that what we want? The hand of the Lord upon me? Lord, you know, work in me. Lord, work through me. Lord, there are people that are dying and going to hell, and I want to be used by you, but the hand of the Lord needs to be upon you. And the hand of the Lord will be upon you when you have a heart that says, God, I'm willing to obey. Because if not, it will be against you. And that's a life of discipline. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 6, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And then if you don't listen, it says, and he scourges every son whom he receives. question is, is God my king or not? Real simple. Who's sitting on the throne? Who is sitting on the throne of your heart? Who is telling you what to do, what to say, what to think? Who is being the dictator of your time and your talents and your treasures and your temple and your gang and your gospel? Is the Lord the king of your life? I know the song. I sing the song and I like that song too. But it can't just be a song. And it can't just be a word. And it can't just be a confession or a profession. It has to be an obsession. Lord, you are my king. You know, here we see that they were living in this crazy place of dethroning God 
And for us, it's an example. You know, in the, I've told you guys before that in the Old Testament, God speaks to us not always through explicit words, but through implicit lives. You know, when we see the picture of this life, of the nation of Israel, whatever it is, and it's a, it's a synopsis of things that we need to learn. You know, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know what, Manny? You're like weird. Um, you know, I mean, I just, you know, it's just this little intermediary that I have or this little other thing that I do. I think you're taking this too seriously. And so Samuel, look what happens. Samuel says in verse 16, Now therefore, stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is today not the wheat harvest? Well, I will call to the Lord, and he will send thunder and rain, that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking a king for yourselves. And so Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. Real quick synopsis, because I know we're running out of time here. Basically, Samuel says, I want you to see the great wickedness of your sin. Oh, it's not really sin. Yeah, it is. Let me prove it to you. Okay, we're not in the rainy season now. No, 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 it's not rainy season now. Okay, I'm going to talk to the Lord, and he's going to send thunder and rain all day long. (laughs) Imagine that thundering all day it's raining all day and what ends up happening the people know it's the lord oh it's just samuel oh it's just manny no it's god we don't need thunder now we don't need that type of rain now all we need is his word and his word says that's sin It's not just a mistake. It's not just a mess up. It's not like you just drop the ball. It's not a game. It is great wickedness to God. And so he says, I just want you to know that. And so when the people came to that point and they they realized, you know what? I'm sorry, Lord. I mean, I have, we've made a mistake. We've messed up. We've sinned against you. And, and so what ends up happening, I, I like this, and we'll close with this. He just says to, the, to Samuel, they say to Samuel, pray for us. Pray for us. And so Samuel says in verse 20, do not fear. I like this. You have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside, for then you would go after, notice, empty things, which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. And Samuel says, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way 
he kind of gives them just like kind of like three words of encouragement. Real quick, number one, you know what? Don't be afraid. I know we've been talking about all these things that you've done up to this point and how messed up you are, man. But I'm telling you what, God's here to reestablish a covenant with you and to reestablish this commitment with you. And so from this point forward, don't turn aside anymore. Don't turn aside. Okay, that's you. Be encouraged by that, the God of the second chance. Not only that, be encouraged by the God who says, you're my child and I'm on your side. That's what he says right there. The Lord, in verse 22, will not forsake his people. God's not going to give up on you. I already told you earlier that I may have given up on you and you may have given up on me, but God will not give up on you. Be encouraged by that. The God of the second chance, the God who won't give up on you for his name's sake, And then thirdly, be encouraged by this. And this is really cool. That others are praying for you. Samuel said, you know what? I'm not going to sin against the Lord, man. I'm praying for you. As a matter of fact, as a quick side note right here, you're thinking, well, what can I do, man? Give me some practical things that I can do so I can overcome, so I can be the man of God, the woman of God that I want to be. Well, here's one thing among many other things Ask somebody who loves Jesus to really pray for you. Imagine that. Imagine that. If there was a guy that we knew and he was like a modern-day Samuel, imagine that. I mean, you know, and you have the opportunity, hey, bro, will you pray for me? Sure, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. But it was like Angel was saying today in today's song. But when Samuel begins to pray for you, it will rain. That's what's going to happen. Right? I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm thinking, Lord, just make it easy for me. You know, I'll, I'll change. No, ain't no thing, right? It's going to just happen. And God says, no. When you really want to be broken. And I was even thinking while he was saying that and even reading about the rain here. And I was even thinking about Cambodia. i got to be honest with you. We're getting ready to go to Cambodia. And I was thinking, Lord, don't let it rain. Don't let it rain because it's the rainy season over there right now. You know, and then, then the song was just talking about how yet, though, in those rainy times, God's still got a plan. And God is going to do a work. That is deep. So don't be surprised when Samuel starts praying for you, when you get that sister, that brother, and you say, you know what? We talk about this all the time, you know, and I say pray for me. Let me ask you a question and look him in the eyes. Do you really pray for me? Because if not, you tell them right now, you better repent. I'm going to beat you up. No, I'm just joking. You wouldn't say that. But listen, man, we need to start really seriously praying for people. You know, what we're doing in the overseers, what we're doing is, and I want to challenge you guys this just in case, because I don't know how you guys are in this, but the Lord taught me this a long time ago. You know, when you pray for your wife, a lot of times guys are just weak. They just barely pray for their wives. And the Lord says, you know what, give her time. Give her like 10, 15, 20 straight minutes of praying for your wife. That's not too much to ask, or maybe for your kids. But whatever it is, all I'm saying is that we need to get serious about that. I think that will be a practical way of us changing. You see, in looking at our study today, we see the integrity of Samuel. 
we see as we look through this right here, the in history of Israel, we see the perversity in that they would ask for a different king, but then we close with this, just the simplicity of this whole thing. Again, verse 24 and 25 are the synopsis. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if, Oh, there you are. If you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Not complicated, huh? It's not. God says, I love you, I made you, and I died for you. Real simple, right? And so I'll tell you what. Do what I say. Find out what he wants you to do, and then follow through with those marching orders you know there's this radio uh, program on uh on tv on, on well, it's on radio it's not on tv huh it's on, on the radio and uh have you guys heard it uh prank past story it's called the intersection of faith and reason okay you guys listen to k-wave too right okay all right anyways i was thinking about um that intersection today and i was thinking lord you know what there's another intersection that uh that I think is probably more important to me. And that is this, because it's, it's hard sometimes, but it's this intersection of grace and holiness. And it's hard, it's hard to explain. It's hard to put your finger on. It's hard to figure out. You know, they, they say the balance of those things. But this intersection of grace and holiness is found in what? It's found in the cross of Jesus Christ, you guys. And I just pray that we would always have a good handle on that, man. That we would always know, God, you are so gracious and long-suffering. You're the God of the second chance. And I know that you have the power and the blood of Jesus Christ, your son, to wash away all my sins. And I love it. And I'm free. And I am forgiven. And I am white as snow. Thank you, Lord. And yet at the same time, Lord, I understand that that grace was not cheap because you are a holy God. And so, Lord, since you are holy, God, I tell you what, by your grace and your spirit and your word, I would pray today that you would make me holy. I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you so much for the wonderful balance of your word, the intersection of grace and holiness, Lord. Even the simple covenant that if we obey, we'll find ourselves in the destiny, the destination that we need to be in, Lord. And if we don't, you will discipline us and we will be sorry for that lord so strike a healthy fear into our life and lord do a great deep beautiful new testament work in the hearts of my brothers and my sisters here tonight lord i pray meet them where they are and if there is anyone here tonight who doesn't know you who's not a christian then lord i pray that today they would surrender their life to you. We love you and we thank you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand.